0: Welcome to Paranormal Conversations. Random, off-the-cuff discussions on all things paranormal. to Paranormal Conversations number eight. On this episode, we are joined by Dr. Christy Sumner, who is the founder of Soul Sisters Paranormal, and she also runs the historic Scott County Jail in Huntsville, Tennessee. On this episode, we talk about her different techniques, the evidence that they've caught at a lot of different locations. You guys are going to love this. And you'll notice that we don't talk about the historic Scott County Jail too much on this interview because we're going to be actually doing a future episode featuring the jail. Soul Sisters Paranormal started in 2014 and is headed by Dr. Christy Sumner and her twin sister Jenny. The group has traveled the country investigating properties with both enthusiasm and skepticism, and they've gathered some very interesting evidence. They have a great series of videos on YouTube called Landmarks, Legends, and Lore, and one of them is haunted cemeteries, Kelly. Excellent. Christy has a PhD in public affairs with an emphasis on criminal justice and has spent some time as a college professor in Colorado and Florida. She speaks with authority on a number of subjects, which lends credence to her presentations of unexplainable evidence. And she has a love of historic preservation, which she put into some real action fairly recently. Christy started History Highways and Haunts, LLC, with Miranda Young, a.k.a. Ghost Biker, which is headquartered in the Old Scott County Jail in Huntsville, Tennessee, a location both ladies manage and where they host tours, events, and ghost hunts. And their video podcast, Jailhouse Informant, is there as well. Please welcome Dr. Christy Sumner to the show. Yay!
1: (laughs) How y'all doing tonight?
0: We are doing fabulous. How about you? I'm doing very well, thank you. Good. I have to say, before we jump into ghosts, not only are we here in Central Florida, which is where you originally are from. Mm-hmm. But uh, you were a professor at Metro State College in Denver. I was, which was a college I had been looking at going to for criminology for just a little while. And then I ended up going up to Fort Collins to CSU.
1: Oh, wow. Yeah. Fort Collins is a great school as well. Uh, yeah. I taught uh, aviation security and aviation marketing and management there at uh, Metro State College of Denver. Yeah,
0: awesome. I was looking at your bio and I'm like, oh, wow, that is so cool. It's like she was in Colorado and then she was in Florida. Same thing that I did. (laughs) Decided to get out of the snow and cold, although clearly you decided that, oh, I guess going north wouldn't be so bad.
1: Well, yeah, I uh, I found myself back up in Tennessee. Now, I still claim myself as a Florida resident. I haven't officially moved up here yet and all that, so kind of see how this works first. But yeah, I'm in Huntsville, Tennessee right now, as you mentioned, with Miranda Young from Ghostbiker Explorations. And uh, she and I uh, opened the historic Scott County Jail and Museum here in Huntsville.
0: So I've got to ask you, what got you started in the whole paranormal thing and doing the paranormal investigating?
1: Uh, So my my twin sister and I uh, and our younger sister, Michelle, we always had a fascination with um, paranormal ghost experience and such. Um, And we also come from a research minded background. So we always said to ourselves, if we ever had the opportunity to conduct a paranormal investigation, we would jump at that chance. And so, and we all live in different parts of the country. So we would routinely get together for girls trips and just do different things. And we wanted to start doing something a little bit more unique. And uh, so in 2014, we're in Moundsville, West Virginia, which is where the West Virginia State Penitentiary is located. And we had a friend of the family that sat on the board of that facility. And he said, while you're here, why don't you take one of the nights and stay in the prison and see if you can come up uh, you know, find any of our, our resident spirits and communicate with them. So we absolutely jumped at that chance. We took some, um, some digital cameras, some voice recorders, and we left that experience with what we felt was some very compelling, unexplainable things, uh, doors slamming, footsteps coming at us in the darkness, men's voices that we couldn't account for. And uh, so that really started us on this journey. And we decided that as best as we could, we wanted to elevate this subculture a little bit more into the professional mainstream, right? Um, we felt that if we were going to do this, we wanted to give a presence um, that was, you know, a little bit different than what you see on the popular television shows. So we came up with our theme music, our, our name, um, our logo and stuff like that. And uh, yeah, so then we just decided to start going around the country and it's been a blast ever since.
0: Well, I love that you are women because there is a lot of testosterone out here. And uh, <laughs> it's nice to see women teams out there. I think it brings a different energy when you go into and investigate a place, definitely.
1: I think you're right. You know, for us, we don't go in with bravado. We don't go into these locations um, trying to prove that that something exists and, and do it with ego. Um, that's really not what we're about. And to your point, I do think that an all female t- has a different sort of empathy. Um, I'm not going to say that we're empathic per se in my group, but we do have that sense of empathy, right? It It's a, it's a different feeling than an all male group or a co ed group. Uh, I, I think that's why we've been very fortunate to get women. Uh, spirits to communicate with us, as well as children to communicate with us. And and I think to your point, being an all-female team really lends to, to some of those communications.
2: Absolutely agree with that. And I've actually had similar experiences with children, spirits and things of that nature. With all the investigations you've done, what is your favorite technique or do you have one?
1: Honestly, for us, it really is, well, two things. One, taking in voice recorders, because I think EVPs are the truest form of unexplainable phenomena that we can capture. Um, pictures, I think, can be debunked. I think they lend a lot more to skepticism uh, as well as videos. They can be debunked and, and lend to skepticism. But but EVPs are really hard to debunk. For example, if we're an all-female team and we're capturing a male's voice, then that's very hard for me to explain, right? And then another technique that I love is just coming up with innovative, tr- innovative trigger items, finding something that we can take Into a location that's going to elicit a response from the spirits that we're trying to communicate with, and and I think we've there's been some instances where we've gotten very innovative with that, and and, uh, that that is really a challenge, but something that I feel is necessary.
2: On that note, what's the most unusual trigger item that you've (laughs) supplied for an investigation?
1: Well, I'd have to say that was at the West Virginia State Penitentiary. This was our second investigation at that facility. And there's the reports of a spirit of a guy by the name of Red Snyder that's supposed to inhabit the West Virginia State Penitentiary. And this guy was a bad guy in life. He was the leader of the Aryan Brotherhood. He was any gang member that he wanted killed in that penitentiary, got killed, just just a really bad guy. But he had two vices in life. The first one was tobacco, and the second was watching Days of Our Lives. So every day they'd wheel a television in front of his cell. They'd let him watch Days of Our Lives, and they'd wheel the television back out. And so um, we used a technique that, that to my knowledge, had not been used before. We downloaded an episode of Days of Our Lives onto our laptop. And we took that into his cell and we let it run for about an hour. And we went and did something else. We went to another cell block. And when we came back, we said, Red, did you see what we had left for you? And we got a very audible male voice saying yes. And then after that, we had a very interesting K2 session, which I believe, again, was was Red Snyder interacting with us. And at the end of that session, I said, thank you for communicating with us. And behind us, a male's voice said, no, thank you. And I think that was in response to what we had left for him.
2: Wow, that's amazing! I love that. Mm-hmm. Definitely unique.
1: Yeah, it was, and I was really kind of proud of that one. Um, some other ones that we used at Fort Mifflin, we we took some different things in with us. Uh, this is a Revolutionary War fort in in Philadelphia, so we took some different things in there. Uh, we one of the things that we did is we left walkie. We took six walkie talkies, and we left them in various. Portions of the um, of the of the fort there, and we all stood in the middle of the fort, and we turned on the walkies and we played a drum cadence that would have been prevalent in the Revolutionary War, and we let that resonate throughout the entire fort. And I think that elicited some responses. And coincidentally, the there was a bar across the river from the fort, and they set off a series of fireworks that night. I mean, loud booming fireworks, which would have been reminiscent of gunfire and cannon fire. And I think that it wasn't a trigger item of ours. But I do believe that that triggered some responses. Because after that, that uh, light show, we captured so many things that night. And I think it was in response to some of the things that we were trying.
0: I have to ask you when it comes to ghosts, what do you think those are? And it could be a number of things, whatever your theories are on that.
1: Okay, yeah. So I do believe when we are trying to communicate with spirits, we are attempting to communicate with those entities that had a human existence. They lived, they died, and for some reason, their spirits are allowed to remain behind or closer to the veil and communicate with us. So, I will say I'm a Christian. So, I do believe that a majority of, of souls, when we pass, will ascend to whatever's next. Like I said, I'm a Christian, so I'll call it heaven. But I do believe that there are some instances where um, some souls are allowed to stay behind, whether it be for unfinished business. I, and then there are some that can't find the way to whatever's next. I think we see that a lot with kids um, and children. I think that's the reason why some. Some of those kids, um, you know, they just can't find what's next. And then the third theory is um, fear of retribution for the life they lived on earth. Um, they don't want to ascend because they're afraid that they're going to face some type of eternal damnation. Um, and I think that's why we see a lot of spirits in jails and prisons, because they are just afraid to move on. And th- that's the premise that we really work on. Um, and I think we've, we've had some evidence to back up each one of those theories.
0: I love your thoughts on that because Kelly and I both come from a Christian background as well. And uh, the last interview we did, I'd even mentioned that we found it hard to believe that there were such things as children ghosts because, you know, a loving creator, how could he possibly leave children behind? But as we found with a lot of our experiences, especially because Kelly's a mom, she gives off that mom energy, we've had a lot of interactions that I think clearly are with children Mm -hmm. And uh, I was like, it can't just be something that's trying to fool us or Mm -hmm. take advantage of us in some way because they're really good interactions. And I would think if you're some kind of a trickster, you wouldn't be that way. Mm -hmm. But I also love that you're not coming at this from uh, a lot of the time when you talk to Christians and you're talking about ghosts, not only are they like you absolutely should not do any kind of investigating, but they just everything's demonic right off the get go. And for us so far, Maybe we should knock on some wood. We haven't run into anything like that. We've we've met some characters that, you know, were bad people in their life, but nothing that I would consider to be demonic.
1: And that's exactly our experiences as well. So two points to, to what you just said. You know, for me, this has really strengthened my Christian belief, right? It allows me to believe that there is something after this. There is an afterlife. We don't just close our eyes at death and cease to be. Um, because to me, that would be a terrifying thought in and of itself. And, you know, if you look at the Bible, it is peppered with stories of ghosts, right? And and the the writers of the Bible had to have a frame of reference for that, right? Um, I mean, when, when Christ came um, back after the crucifixion, They said, are you a ghost? Right. So they they, again, they had to have some type of frame of reference for that. So I think ghost and and spirit activity is something that we've seen throughout time. Um, And then, you know, for us, to your point, you know, we've investigated some of the most reportedly haunted places in the country. And we've never run into anything that we would consider demonic. We have had spirits that I would say are darker. And I think that's because they were jerks in life, right? They're not going to be great in death if you're a jerk in life. And, you know, again, we see that primarily in jails and prisons. Um, and in and, and those instances, we just say, listen, we're going to leave you to your space. That's yours. We're, we're going to put a voice recorder in here. If you want to communicate with us, here you go. But otherwise, we've got a lot of other places that we can investigate here this is your space, have at it. So we really don't engage in anything that we would consider a little bit darker. And now I do believe that there are demons, but I don't believe they had a human existence. I believe they're the representation of the evil, of the good and the evil in the world. And um, so you know, to your point, we don't go looking for those things. And I I don't think it's as prevalent as popular media says that it is, right? When you look at things like ghost adventures and ghost hunters and the dead files and stuff, there entire reason for being is to build an audience base. So they have to sensationalize that. And I I think that's where the public perception has come from that everything is demonic. But to your point, when you do talk to some people who are really staunch in the Christian faith, they do say, you know, well you shouldn't be messing with that. And I say, well that, you know, that that's really that's your opinion and I appreciate that. But this is kind of how we operate.
2: Yeah. We've always said that the Bible is one of the most supernatural books that you can find, that you can Mm -hmm. read.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and and like I said, to me, it's one of those things where I think we're allowed to see these individuals. We're allowed to communicate with them for the very purpose of of maybe finding peace. That knowing that the afterlife is not scary. That you know you're you're going to be met with somebody that you know on your passing. And you know this has happened to me on a personal level. And to me. It has made it very peaceful for me. It, it happened with m- when my Nana passed, my grandmother. And uh, it was one of those things that I can't explain how it happened, but it was a peaceful transition and, and that brought me peace in that, in that time. So, um, you know, to your point, it's just one of those things that this personal journey of, of paranormal investigations for me has strengthened my faith and, and belief in the afterlife.
0: Now, that has been the interesting thing as we've been doing these paranormal conversations is that a lot of people their reason for getting into this. Although we try to get scientific evidence, I don't really feel like I need to prove anything to anybody. You can doubt whatever evidence I put out there and say that we faked something or whatever. I've mainly been doing this for myself. And I feel like I've reached a point where I'm pretty assured that what I've been told in the Bible is true, that there is some essence about us that's going to continue to go on. And that, yeah, like you said, that gives you a lot of hope.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, when when people approach us and say, "Well, I don't believe that." that is perfectly fine. You know, what we're trying to do is not convince anybody. What we do is we go in, we tell a very detailed historical narrative of these locations. And we feel that's for preservation purposes, you know, to tell the stories of these locations. And then we couple that with what we call unexplainable. Um, You know, very rarely will I say this is haunted. No, I say this is unexplainable. Because in that moment, when we've controlled for everything that we can control for environmentally, what I'm left with is unexplainable, um, i.e. a male's voice or a child's voice or an item being pushed across the room, I can't explain that. And, you know, if if somebody wants to say that we fake it, that, again, that's your... Prerogative. You can say what you want to say. I'm not trying to convince you of anything other than the fact that this is how we've conducted our investigations and this is what we found. You know, that's one of the reasons why we don't monetize our YouTube channel. Uh, We have a lot of people saying, well, you've got so many subscribers. You've got 50,000 hits on some of your videos. Why aren't you monetizing? And it's for that reason, right? Because I don't want somebody to say, um, you know, you're faking this to get more subscribers to get more subscription money. And that's, that's really not what we're about. So ergo, we don't monetize um, just for that very reason. And, um, you know, for me, like I said, I'm, we're not trying to convince anybody. We're, we're out there just doing what we do, loving what we do and putting out what we find for those who want to watch our videos.
0: It's almost easier to ask you about places that you haven't been, because you guys (laughs) have been to a lot of locations. And what's cool for us is we've been to a lot of the similar ones. There's these little out of the way knockabout places like Monticello, Florida. Mm -hmm. We went through there and stayed at the Denham House on our way to New Orleans last year. That's a really neat little town. And you guys have been there, right?
1: Yes, yes, we have been. And and it is, we've spent several nights there. It's just a great little town. And to your point, finding these little out of the way locations that the interstate doesn't run through, that you've got to kind of take some back roads to get to, finding those locations and telling the stories of those locations um, and and why they're still important, to me, that is absolutely fascinating. So Monticello was a great location. Um, We we still have to put out our evidence for the Monticello Opera House, um, but we we included that in, in. the landmark legend and lore that we did, uh, the, the Mom Barker House, right? That is a location there in Ocklawaha, Florida, uh, just outside of, uh, of Orlando in, in Ocala. Um, you know, this is a location that in 1935 had the national spotlight on it. It is literally a one stoplight town. And, um, and and really nobody knew the story, even people that lived in Marion County for their entire lives didn't know the story, the backstory of this house and why it was so important. um, Because this was the, the site of the 1935 shootout between Ma and Fred Barker, and members of the FBI. And after Ma and Fred were killed in that shootout, it really brought to an end the gangster era of the, the 1920s and the 1930s. And when we told that story, when we did that investigation and told that historical narrative, we had people coming up to us and saying, I I never knew that was there. never knew that happened. I've lived, I mean, I'm a third generation Ocala person and I never knew this happened. And I was like, that's, that's incredible. That one, that you didn't know, and two, that our story and, and what we've done has touched you like that. Um so to your point, Diane, that's that's really what we love to do, finding those little out-of-the-way places and telling those stories.
2: It's funny that you brought up the Ma Barker House because I literally was just going to ask you about that. We <laughs> we tried to get there one day
0: and Well, we didn't realize that you had to make an appointment (laughs) to tour it. We just thought, you know, it's like one of these other museums. You could just go up to it and, and tour it. So we're like, oh, we didn't get a chance to go through there. But you guys got some pretty compelling evidence there, especially on the spirit box. Mm-hmm. I mean, to get the name Fred to come across when you're at a location where Fred was mm-hmm. pretty, pretty amazing.
1: Yeah. And, and like I said, that was a great location for us because um, we're fifth generation Ocala natives. And so we grew up hearing that story. My, my Nana and granddaddy lived about four miles from that location. So when we would wow. go to the post office, yeah, when we would go to the post office, when we were seven, eight, nine years old, Nana would say, well, that's where Ma died. That's where Ma got killed. And um, they used to do reenactments. So wow. our parents, parents would pack lunches and we'd go and watch these three hour long reenactments at the house. Um, And then in, in, uh, and what's interesting about it is, as I said before, the shootout was in, uh, in 1935 and the owner um, Carson Bradford after the shootout, um, he maintained the house as it was in 1935. So when you go through it today, there's bullet holes all in the walls. There's bullet holes in the furniture. The the floors are original. The sconces are original. Um, you know, the doors are original. Everything but the the glass and the windows is, is original to the house. And um, so the family maintained that up until 2016. And then in 2016, they decided it was time to to sell the property. And the new owner did not want the house. He was going to demolish it. So Marion, yeah, Marion County ended up buying the house, and they put it on a barge, and they floated it across Lake Weir, about four and a half miles from its original location. And so they, it sits on about forty acres of nothing, right? There's there's no noise. I mean, there's no electricity to it. There's no um, water to it. It sits vacant by itself. You really need almost like a four wheel drive vehicle to get back in the Florida sand to get to this house. So I wanted to investigate it really to tell the story again. But I also wanted to see if it's true that spirits would go with the house and not stay with the land. My theory was that they were going to go with the house um, and not stay with the land. And so one of the things that we did, it was a two-part investigation. And um, I I also wanted to go on the anniversary of the shootout. So the first night we investigated, it was like I said, the, the shootout was on January 16th, the morning of January 16th. So, on the night of January 15th, we put equipment inside the house voice recorders, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, different um, uh, night vision video cameras, um, different uh, trigger items. And I also pre recorded questions on a voice recorder for about 40 minutes. And when we left the house, I pushed play and let those questions run. Um, and then the, the the device would turn off, but we wanted to lock the house, leave it be on its own for the, the anniversary of the shootout. So we locked it and left, but we had complete control of it because we had um, uh, track uh, trap cameras outside. So we knew that nobody pr- approached the house during the night. And when we came back and we got everything the next day, we found that we captured voices um, uh, on the audio recorders. There were some light anomalies that we caught on the night vision video cameras. And in the room where Ma and Fred's body were found at about 5.30 in the morning, which is about the time the shootout happened 83 years prior, we captured two voices. The first one said, Freddie, the second one said, yeah, ma. And the first one said, get ready. And I think that was a residual. I think, you know, that will happen on the anniversary of the shootout. I think that's what they actually said during the shootout. And then we went back about two weeks later, just my sister and I, and uh, to your point, Diane, we um, had the spirit box up in that same room. And as you know, getting a full phrase on a spirit box is, is the odds are astronomical, right? Because every eighth of a second, it's switching to another frequency. And so I asked what happened in this room. And we got the phrase, they murdered us, we the ones dead. Um, Again, the the chances are astronomical that that would happen. So for me, that was pretty compelling evidence.
0: Especially with not the best grammar as well. Because if it's coming (laughs) across the radio, most radio people are not going to be saying something kind of that way.
1: Yeah, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Um, And another piece of evidence was um, when Ma and Fred rented the house in in, uh, November of 1934, they rented it under the alias of T.C. Blackburn. And so when we were up in that room, I said, can you say the name Blackburn? And Blackburn came on through the spirit box. Again, extremely compelling.
0: Absolutely. That was one of them that I was going to ask you about, too, because I'm like, that's not something you're typically going to hear across the radio either.
1: No, no, it wasn't. And um, as I said before, it, it, it to be in this house you have to know that you're away from everything the the, vo- the spirit box literally fits in my hand it's a little radio it does not have a large range um to pick up any type of frequency and and you're literally in the middle of nowhere there's no light pollution there's no noise pollution um you know Great place for viewing stars because, you know, it's, it's out, literally out in the middle of nowhere. And, um, you know, for us to pick that up on, the, on that spirit box, because we weren't really getting any radio frequencies at all. I mean, radio interference. So to pick that up was actually really cool.
0: Yeah, I was going to say for people who don't know Central Florida, getting a radio station because you're in between, especially where we're at, we're between Tampa and Orlando. And that's kind of how Ocala is, too. And so Mm -hmm. you don't really get something from either one of those places. You're just kind of in between. So you probably really aren't going to get a whole lot of, especially on an AM band up there.
1: Correct. Yeah, you're absolutely right. So that was one of the tools that I, I really enjoyed using there. But, you know, we had some great activity on the REM pod. And as you know, the REM pod will act if if or it will alarm if there's energy acting on it. Um, but there was no electricity going into this house. The only electricity was one extension cord coming from one tent pole plugged into um, AC unit for to maintain um, climate control, it was a window based unit, right? That's the only power coming into that house. And so we were upstairs and um you know we're getting amazing activity on the on the rem pod on command. Um, you know step up and touch it if you're Fred de- 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 de, now back up it stops. is mom here d. De- 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 back up and, and you know it was it was just a really cool interaction.
2: It's so fun when you get that type of back and forth absolutely.
1: I love so, it, it
2: so. <laughs> I also wanted to ask you what was the Lizzie Borden House like?
1: The Lizzie Borden House was fantastic. I just really love uh, again, this is a, a really cool story for us to tell because most people, they all they know is, these two people were bludgeoned to death. They arrested Lizzie Borden. She was, innocent, uh, she was found innocent and boom, that's it. End of story. Right. Um, but to really delve into the entire historical background of that and knowing that after she was uh, acquitted of the murder, she stayed in Fall River until she was 62. And, you know, she ended up dying there. I mean, that was just a really cool story just to tell in and of itself. But, you know, to go into that house and, and touch the doorknobs that Lizzie Borden touched or to sleep in the bedroom where Lizzie Borden slept or that Abby Borden was killed, Again, just an amazing experience. So when we started this investigation, the very first thing that we always do is, even before we cross the threshold, we've got our voice recorders going. So some of us were still, you know, pulling in our luggage, and we, but we had our voice recorders going. We had set them up in in various rooms inside the house. So prior to even starting the investigation, we had a voice recorder in the room, in the parlor room where um, Andrew Borden had been killed. Uh, He was found there, and uh, Jenny and Cara. We're just sitting there talking about the day, nothing, nothing spectacular, not in, in the investigation mode, just talking about the day. And they, then they started talking about the differences between the Velisca axe murder house and the Lizzie Borden house. And, you know, da, 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 da. And um, Kara said in the course of that conversation, Cara said, either way, being axed to death would be a horrible way to die. And right behind that, we captured a male's voice saying it was very intelligent. It's like he interjected inside the conversation. So that was a very cool piece of evidence. About 45 minutes later, Jenny and Michelle were standing in that parlor, same parlor, again, just talking about the day. Michelle was talking about some work stuff. And so they were just kind of going back and forth. And um, the voice recorder captured a male's voice saying, I'm standing right here next to you. Jenny didn't hear it. I mean, it would have been standing right behind Jenny. Jenny didn't hear it. She didn't obviously didn't acknowledge it. So to pick that up on the voice recorder, both of those EVPs indicates an extreme intelligence for us. Later on during the night, all five of us, because we were joined by Miranda from Ghostbiker on this investigation, All five of us were inside the room on the third floor where um, uh, Bridget Sullivan, the the maid, stayed. So the door was shut. We were all in this room and we had a couple of devices and we had two K2 meters on the floor, but Miranda had one in her hand. And she said, I'm going to put this one down with the other so you'll have three to play with. And outside the door, a man's voice said, ignore them. And we all heard it. We all heard this voice and Jenny was the closest to the door and she reached over and just yanked the door open. And of course there's nobody standing there, but everybody in the room heard it and we picked it up on the voice recorder. So to me, the Lizzie Borden house is, is extremely active with intelligent activity because everything that we encountered that night seemed to be in response to what we were doing or what we were saying. Especially to get
0: those voices that are audible. That's Mm -hmm. amazing.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like I said, um, you know, disembodied voices, we capture a lot of them on the voice recorders, but to actually hear them in the moment and, and know we actually capture them as well, that th- those are some great experiences.
0: You mentioned the Velisca Axe Murder House. Uh, we overnighted there one time as well. And I don't know about your guys's impression, but you know, you hear so much about this place and then you get there and you're like, Wow, this is a really small house.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and it's really close to the neighbors. And then it's really close to these apartment complexes. And then it's really close to this same thing. We, uh, we turn the corner because, you know, when you hear about it, you're expecting like, boom in the middle of a cornfield, like Field of Dreams, right? I mean, there's nothing going to be around this thing. And uh, so it's going to be great. No, no problems. So to your point, we turn the corner. I'm like, is this it? Because that's awfully close to everything going on here. Mm -hmm. So the the Liska house and to your Point, extremely small. There were five of us on this investigation, five soul sisters investigators. And there was never a point during the night where all five of us were in the house. Um, we went in subsets because it was so it was so large and uh, so small. Um, and so we just felt that we wanted to eliminate as much noise pollution as we could. Um, but we left that experience with some very cool, unexplainable things. We had put a voice recorder in the attic, right where the the killer was said to have stayed, and Kara and Kim were walking up those stairs, such narrow stairs. They were walking up yes. the stairs. <laughs> And we captured a man's voice saying downstairs where the uh, girls are sleeping. And he had an accent. And I mean, it was that full phrase downstairs where the uh, girls are sleeping, um, which would have been interesting because that's where downstairs where the Stillinger girls um, were mm-hmm. sleeping in that downstairs bedroom. So we captured that. And then Jenny and Michelle were in the the little room where um, uh, the Moore children were killed. And They were doing an EVP session and and we have a a night vision video camera in that room. And so you see Michelle and Jenny stand up after the session and Michelle grabs her head and she said, oh, I, I stood up and I've got this really bad headache. And Jenny said, well, let's go outside and get you some water. And as they leave the room, we captured a child's voice saying, I didn't do that. Um, kind of like I didn't cause the headache. Uh, so that was pretty compelling, but honestly, the most compelling piece of evidence that we got from the Velisca house was, um, we were out in that little barn where, that they use as base camp. Yeah. And so we were sitting on the porch and, um, they, they had that swing there and we had set our K2 meters down on the, um, the little railing, the little banister there. So, right. There's nothing, there's no energy or any electricity acting on it or anything. <laughs> and, um, And so all of a sudden they start going off. Now we have a black one and a gray one and all of a sudden they start going off and we weren't recording at that time because we were taking a break. And so we grab the cameras real quick and, and we start going back and forth with these K2 meters. Again, there's nobody around them. There's no, I mean, we're all back probably about six to eight feet. And so we start, you know, can you go to the gray meter? Boom! Can you stop and go to the black meter? Boom! And we started asking all these questions, and um, we we came up with what we thought was the communication we were communicating with Sarah Moore, um, the the mother. And we got what we feel is the interaction um, indicated that she was afraid to go inside, and that the killer was still inside as well. Um, so she was she was staying out there with us and communicating that way. But I mean, that session went on for probably about. 20 minutes. Um, again, just back and forth of, of this, you know, go to the gray, go to the black, you know, switch and can you take it up to red and, and all of that stuff. So it was pretty interesting.
0: We felt like we mostly interacted with the children there. And probably the coolest thing that happened for us is, as you were saying, there's no electricity out there. So if you want to go to the restroom, you got to go with the flashlight. And uh, one of the ladies who was with us, we had three listeners who were with us for the overnight. And she's like, I need to find a light. And all of a sudden, one of the flashlights turned itself on. So that was brilliant. really cool. And she's like, <laughs> I need a light. And boom, it's like the kids are like,
1: here it is. That is brilliant. That's really, yeah. Aside from just that one um, child EVP, um, we didn't have really any child interaction. We, we tried a lot of different things, uh, but we didn't, um, it was more of a male and uh, a, a presence inside the house. And then Sarah Moore's outside the house
0: we had some root beer candies with us and we got what sounded like a little boy saying, mm. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. The little barrels. That's then awesome. we felt bad. We're like, I wonder if they could taste candy or is that almost like a bad thing? You know, uh-huh. it's like, Oh, there's the candy, but I can't have it kind of
1: thing. We weren't sure. Oh, uh, well, I hope they can. I'm going to go with the premise that they can. Cause
0: that we just... are
1: too. <laughs> okay, good, good. Uh, you know, one of the interesting things about that whole experience is um, like I said, there was five of us there on that investigation. And um, Michelle and Cara had to leave the next day. So we investigated um, on a Saturday night and Cara and Michelle left out of Omaha on uh, that Sunday morning. So they went back to Omaha. And so Kim and Jenny and I, we just had that Sunday to kind of play around with and we were just driving around. And coincidentally, we drove up onto Malvern Manor. And, uh, and, and Josh heard, we didn't know who he was at the time. He was sitting out on the porch and just, just sitting there. We kind of rolled up and we said, Hey, is this place haunted? And he said, absolutely. And uh, so <laughs> I said, well, let me, just, let me just tell you who we are. I said, we, <laughs> we just investigated Velisca last night and we still have all of our equipment in the back. I said, you know, would you mind if we bring in a couple of voice recorders? He said, bring in anything you want. Just come on in, bring in anything you want. He let us investigate for about three hours. It was absolutely phenomenal. We were capturing child's voices, a, 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 dem, a non-demonic, but an interesting voice upstairs that was kind of, um, he wasn't so happy we were there up in the attic. Uh, just It was just an off-the-cuff, amazing investigation. And, and Josh was just completely just so gracious in allowing us to have that time at Malvern. And that was one of our most interesting investigations. And we didn't even plan it.
0: What is so interesting about Malvern Manor is it has almost come up in every single paranormal conversation we've done now. This is number eight. <laughs> really? And almost everybody we've <laughs> talked to has either been there or talked about it. It's amazing how popular that is. And it was kind of the same way for us. I, I'm i friends with Josh, so I knew that Malvern Manor was there and we'd already planned on doing the squirrel cage and we were going to do the Velisca. And we thought, well, we got a little bit of time during the day, so why don't we swing over and check out this Malvern Manor? And yeah, he was out mowing the grass and he's like, ah, oh, come in, I'll give you a tour. And, and he let us, yeah, run around for, I think we did for about an hour and a half and did a little investigating too. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, he he basically said we could stay as long as we wanted to, but we were doing it kind of like you did, just happened upon the time to go do it and we had a couple of listener friends with us and just ran over there and it was impromptu
1: and it was great. Yeah. Some of those, some of those investigations like that end up being some of the best ones. But uh, like I said, he was just a, a very gracious host allowing us to go in and do that. And um, I'll, I'll, like I said, I'll always remember that experience just, just because he was so amazing and in lo- in allowing us to do that. So uh, it was just that entire experience from Villisca to Malvern, just, it was a great investigation weekend.
0: You know, we talked about a lot of places that people haven't heard of. And the Exchange Hotel in Gordonsville is another one of these places. And we had never heard of it before. And a friend of ours has a production company. And he's an agent for some of the ghost hunters that are on TV and stuff. So they did one of these, you know, ghost hunter get together and do a little investigation. So Daryl Marston was there. Okay, And it was it was an interesting place for us. We didn't really get a whole lot of activity in the actual Exchange Hotel. But when we went out to that depot that's outside there... Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I got touched for the first time by a ghost out there. It was it was a
1: pretty intense oh, place fantastic. out there. Fantastic. Yeah, the Exchange Hotel for us is um, I'd say the most active location for for us, paranormally speaking, has been the old Gilcrest County Jail, followed very closely by the Exchange Hotel. And there there were five of us on that investigation. Now the Depot wasn't open when we were there, so we didn't have the chance to go. But the Summer Kitchen extremely active for us but um the exchange of uh, the the actual hotel part you know we captured two of our best evps in that location we had a voice recorder it was this was on the second floor the second floor there was a bed in one of the rooms that is set up to look like a hotel and so we had a voice recorder on the bed and during the night there were two of us inside the um in the in the hotel the other three were out in the summer kitchen and we captured a man's voice and it said uh He goes. I don't know. I'll be back at four thirty. It just, just like that. I mean, it was so clear. I mean, I came when we were listening to. I came off the couch. I was like, "What is this?" (laughs) And uh, so it it was. I think that was residual. Um, Either he's a doctor coming back at four thirty, or to for the Civil War guys, or he was going to catch a train at four thirty. But I do think that was residual about two hours later, a same voice recorder captured a child's voice saying, hi, this is my bed. And I think that was intelligent. I think he's talking to the voice recorder, essentially, you know, get off my bed. This is my bed. (laughs) And, um, and then we had, and I think that was the the spirit of little Jeremiah that's supposed to be in that building. And um, we had an interesting K2 session where we were sitting, uh, it was just Kim and I, my investigator Kim, and we were on the second floor hallway. And so it's a long hallway. And so she was at one end, and, and she was sitting with her legs out with a K2 meter, you know, between her legs. And I was on the other end, doing the same thing. And I had a glow in the dark ball. And I said, if you light up my K2, I will throw this ball down to Kim. K2 lights up. So I roll the ball down to Kim. And Kim said, well, if you light up my K2, then I'll roll the ball back down to Christy. So we did this again for about 15 to 20 minutes. It was a very interesting interaction. And uh, so, yeah, that, so we captured that and then a couple voices out in the uh, summer kitchen.
0: You guys do some very interesting experimental type stuff. I love it. We, we try to, we try to. So where's your favorite
1: location to investigate? I'd say the one that was just a good, fun Awesome investigation would be the Grand Old Lady Hotel in Balsam, North Carolina. Uh, this is a three-story hotel. It was built in 1905 as part of the railway system and extremely opulent for the time. It's three stories, hardwood floors, grand sweeping staircases, about a hundred guest rooms, a ballroom, a bar, summer kitchen, it just just a, a, a great building in and of itself. And, um, when we investigated there, there were three of us and we had the entire property for an entire weekend. And so it was Miranda, Jenny, and I. And so the way we, we split it up, um, Miranda conducted her investigation on Friday night, even though we were all in the building and Jenny and I conducted our investigation on Saturday night, even though again, we were all in the building. And so when Jenny and I did our investigation, we were capturing audible voices. We were in the kitchen at one point. And I said, if you're here, just let us know. The coffee pot turns on. This is 2.30 in the morning. The coffee pot turns on. We were on the third floor, Jenny and I, and Miranda was down on the first floor. And I said, you know, make some noise. If you're here, make a noise. And we heard this tremendous crash. And I said, that had to be Miranda. And uh, so Miranda yells up and said, are you guys Okay. I'm like, I thought that was you. So we met downstairs (laughs) and we started going room to room and there was a table in one of the rooms that had been overturned, um, just completely knocked over and on. It was sitting upside down. And um, so that was kind of interesting again, audible voices throughout the night, things were moving throughout the night. But one of the the best pieces of evidence from that night occurred around 330 in the morning. And so Jenny and I had just finished our investigation. And so we all three decided to go into one of the suites that was located on the third floor next to what's known as Henry's hallway, or the most haunted hallway in in the building. So the way this suite is configured there's an interior room with two queen beds and then an exterior room that had a single bed. And so the interior has to go through the exterior to get to the hallway. So the only door that goes into the hallway is this, this exterior room where Miranda was sleeping. So we had a night vision video camera in the hallway and a night vision video camera on the door in Miranda's room. So you can see Miranda sleeping in the bed. So we know that there's nobody going uh, approaching the door. And so you see us go to bed. We say our good And about 15 minutes later, um, a voice said, please don't go right behind the door. And Miranda said, did y'all hear that? And I said, yeah. She goes, what was that? <laughs> I said, there's a man standing outside our door. She said, yeah, that's what I thought. And Obviously, there was nobody there, right? We had complete control of the building. There was nobody there. And you can see on the video camera that's outside the doorway, there, there's nobody standing there, yet you've got this man um, talking. So that was a very good EVP for us. So that investigation was so much fun. Uh, it was just, from start to finish, just a great investigation. Um, and then I'd say here at the historic Scott County Jail in, in Huntsville, you know, things happen here all the time. And I'd, I'd have to say that this is not my new favorite location.
2: Your face kind of lit up just a little bit. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's this is a awesome. fun little jail. It's a fun yeah. little jail. What I find
0: fascinating, and I'm sure this intrigues you as well, is anytime you hear about this physicality thing, and maybe some spirit manifested itself and was able to take that table and turn it upside down. But I mean, you're talking about something that was able to physically lift something and not only, you know, push it to tip it over, but clearly had to have at least tipped it one more time or something Mm -hmm. or picked it up and turned it over. Mm -hmm. And that just amazes me of how does something have an ability to touch something in the physical world and yet not even be manifested maybe.
1: And that is an interesting question because obviously we don't know. Um, My theory is that they just have at that moment such a burst of energy that that it can physically affect the this the obviously this world uh, quote this dimension that we're in. And uh, so I think that's what same thing with the uh, the coffee pot, right? You can see there's a clock on the wall behind behind that coffee pot. It says two thirty. There's no reason why this coffee pot should be turning on at two thirty when I just asked something to happen. Um, So you're right. It it is a very interesting phenomena. And, you know, one that I, I honestly can't explain. Um, You know, we had some other, and, and one of the things that we try to do kind of going off that same question is when we find something or something happens we try to validate it with multiple pieces of equipment. So an EVP is great, but an EVP with a spirit box or an SLS camera or some other device picking this up, obviously that builds our case. Uh, So in the case of the grand old lady, we were in a room and Miranda had joined us on this one. So there's all three of us in this, in this guest room. And we had set an EDI box on the dresser that was in this room. And so we were all back sitting on the edge of the bed, which is probably about, I don't know, six or seven feet from the dresser. And so Miranda had her SLS camera. So I'm standing behind, she's Miranda sitting on the bed and I'm standing behind her videoing the SLS camera, but the point of view gets the SLS camera and the EDI box in the background. So she's sweeping it around the room. There's nothing, nothing, nothing. And then boom, all of a sudden we have the stick figure on the SLS camera and we're, we're asking it questions like, can you move? And so then Miranda said, can you touch the box that's on the dresser? And you see the arm of the stick figure reach out and it looks on the screen like it's touching the SL or the, the EDI box. And you see the EDI box light up like something is touching it, um, manipulating it. And so now we've got two pieces of equipment that are validating something going on. Um, and so that that interaction in and of itself, I don't know how this this spirit is using its energy to interact with the EDI box. But um, it's one of those things that to me was extremely compelling. Um, same thing with the table. I just think that there was such a burst of energy that in that moment, it's like, here it is. You, you want to see something, you want to hear something, boom, here it is. Because uh, this crash was so loud. I actually thought Miranda had, because she had gone to the bathroom, I thought she had maybe broken the bathroom door. Uh, that's how loud this was uh, and when we when we went started going room to room we found this one room where this table was completely overturned
2: that's crazy that is so <laughs> neat I love it
1: yeah it, we've, we've had some fun investigations for sure
2: so is there a dream location you know
0: that you haven't been all, to yet
2: yeah all yeah. <laughs> I'll, points aside regardless of where no, no uh, restrictions, where would you want to go?
1: I would love to go to Leap Castle in Ireland. That, that is my bucket list. That is my location that I would love to go to. Um, just take everything I've got, take, uh, you know, my sister and and let's just do this. Cause I think that one it's international and, and two there's just so many stories about this location. I would love to go uh, the Monte Cristo plantation in Australia. That's another location that I would like to go uh, here in the U S um, the Queen Mary is, is kind of on our bucket list. Um, some different smaller locations I would like to get to. There's a fort in, uh, in Texas that I think would be a lot of fun. The name escapes me right now. And, and just, you know, back to your point earlier, these just little towns, right? These little towns that maybe are one-stoplight towns, but have a large history um, or something very compelling. Uh, you know, Miranda always says you can't put your finger on a map and 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 point to a location and not have a story at that location right anywhere you put your finger that that location is going to have a story um so to go to those locations and tell those stories to me is is pretty interesting and that's one of the reasons why we started doing the landmark legends and lore because there's so many places out there and so many things that have stories that people don't really know about um, and and you know it's not so much um an investigation per se but it's getting those stories out that is really kind of interesting to us
0: Christy, this has been an amazing conversation. I'd love to end it with you sharing with listeners where they can find out more about you, Soul Sisters Paranormal, and of course, the jail. (laughs)
1: All right. Well, uh, if you want to know anything about Soul Sisters Paranormal, you can find us at www.soulsistersparanormal.com. We're also very active on Facebook under Soul Sisters Paranormal. And uh, our YouTube channel is Soul Sisters Paranormal. So all of our videos and investigation videos are there. Our landmark legends and lore are there. And then if you want to reach out to us, just go to that website, www.soulsistersparanormal.com. For the jail, um, the website is www.historicscott.com jail.com uh, Or again, on Facebook, it's jail.com. And we're doing a lot of different things. Like I said, we've got different tours, uh, paranormal investigations you can do. Um, we have motorcycle events, ghost walks. So, you know, again, again, the history uh, the history of the jail is really cool in and of itself. So jail.com or the historic Scott County Jail on Facebook. Excellent.
2: I had such a great time talking to her.
0: Kelly, it is amazing how many of the same locations her group and we have been to. Yes, actually, quite a few. Especially some of these places that people may not have heard of before, like the Exchange Hotel. We tried to go to the Ma Barker house, but we hadn't realized you have to make an appointment in order to check it out. And Christy said that it's kind of hard to get to, that there's a lot of sand back there, so it's hard on a car. So I don't know if it's a place that's that easy to go visit anyway.
2: Right. We were kind of going around and around on that day when we tried to find it. So
0: we'll see if we ever get there. We want to thank you guys for joining us for this paranormal conversation. I've been your host, Diane. And this has been Kelly. You take care now. Bye bye.